Good morning, Grace. How are we today? Good. I'm glad to be with you. Now, when I was in college, I signed up for this seminar through our local campus ministry, and it was going to be at this um, hotel conference center a couple hours away. And so I was the chosen representative for our group, and I was excited about uh, going to get a stay of the night at the hotel and then go to this training the next day. Now, I may not have read the registration materials as thoroughly as I should have, because the next morning I walked into the wrong conference room. Okay, there's, there's a pretty big place. They had multiple events going on at the same time. And I, I walked into a situation that I was not quite ready for. In this room, in this other conference room that I wasn't supposed to be in, was the largest women's jazzercise training you could possibly imagine. Okay, yeah. And I had this moment where almost immediately I thought, I don't belong here. I am not in the right place. Now, if you're a jazzercizer, and I'm assuming that's what we call you, okay, because I don't know. All right, no offense intended. I know you can't tell by looking at me, but I like to get, get a good workout on every now and again, okay? But as I, a quick scan of the room, as a 20-year-old college male, I realized, one, there were no other men in this room. It was full of women. And conservatively speaking, it was full of what maybe middle-aged women, right? Just to be generous, maybe the youngest woman was maybe 35 years old. And on top of that, they were wearing various uh, forms of fitness fashion from the 80s and 90s. It might have looked something like this, right? <laughs> now, ladies, hold on to this stuff. It's going to come back, I promise, okay? Now, they looked at me, because not only did I walk into the wrong room, but I, I apparently found the door that was at the front of the room, and must have walked in at the worst possible time because literally every eye in the room went boom on me. And they had that look on their face as well. Hey, bud, you, you don't belong here. You're not in the right place. We were in agreement about that. Have, have you had a few moments like that in your life? I have, I've had a couple. This seemed like the safest and most appropriate one to share with you this morning. Okay? Now, on a more serious note, this I don't belong here feeling is supposed to be the feeling we have often as we live in this world as followers of Jesus Christ and those who are becoming like him in all of life. I've got a hunch that if you've been following Jesus for some time, you've had a moment or two or maybe a lot where you're in a situation and you've, you have this feeling like, man, I just don't know that I belong here. It might have happened to you as a teenager uh, at, a, at a party. You thought it was going to be pretty low-key, and it got out of hand pretty fast. And you have this moment as a young believer where you have to kind of come to your senses and go, man, I just don't know that I belong here. It might be time for me to leave. It might have happened to you in a work environment. Maybe everybody else on your work team has a different idea or set of values about how someone is supposed to act when you are out of town on business. It might happen with you with a group of friends. You're, you're mentioning another family who's going through some hard time or some difficulty, and pretty quickly it devolves into um, ridicule or mocking or even judgment statements or maybe even downright gossip. And you have this uneasiness about where you find yourself, and you say, man, I just don't know that I belong here. I'm hoping you resonate with this concept a little bit and you felt this tension in your life because the Apostle Peter in today's passage is going to be addressing this very feeling, this very tension in our lives. And I'm, I'm very much convinced that this is, a, this is a passage that is worth your time and attention regardless of how 
old or young you are, regardless of how long you've been following Jesus Christ or where you live or where you, where you may one day live. Because this passage, I think, is trying to instruct us on something I think is going to become more and more of a critical need in the lives of believers. It's going to be critical for your own understanding of how to live when you find yourself, perhaps progressively, more and more in these I don't belong here moments. And so let's turn together to the book of First Peter. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be today. If you don't have your Bibles, we'll make sure it's up on the screen for you as well. Let's do a little background on First Peter while you find that book. Peter is writing a letter to some churches in Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. Uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, the word of God is spreading in. Churches are being formed all over the Mediterranean. And there's a series of letters that go out to these churches. We have a lot of them uh, collected for us in the back part of our Bible called epistles. And most of them follow the same natural outline. There usually is some kind of instruction in teaching or doctrine or theology or concepts these new believers need to understand in these early churches. And then it transitions to some kind of practical applications, but not random practical applications. It's usually practical applications because of the truths we just learned. Now, today's passage serves, uh, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9 and going through verse 12. I think they serve as kind of the, the hinge passage of this entire book. You're going to see in verse these transition set of verses between Hey, here's, what, here's the truth, and then here's the, the reason you should live this way because of this truth. And so we're going to see in verses 9 and 10 really are a, a culmination, kind of a summary statement of the first half of the book. And then verses 11 and 12 are kind of the introduction to the back half of the book. Here's how we should then live. And so I'd like to show you that today. Let's read through this passage. Let's, let's figure out some concepts we might be able to hold on to and use for our own benefit in our walk with God. So let's start in verse 9. Verse 9 starts with the word but. And every time we see the word but in the, the, the scriptures, we know that's contrasting something. And the, the previous passage is describing the, the difference, the contrast between those who have accepted and received and trusted in the message of Jesus and those who have rejected that message. And so Peter is going to describe those who have received and accepted and trusted in this message of Jesus Christ. He's going to describe us in verses 9 and 10. It says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so the first thing I think, I think I'd like to point out to us in this passage is that the summary statement of the first half of the book is that we are a set-apart people. We're a set-apart or a special group of people. Here are some of the phrases Peter uses to describe those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. We're chosen people. We, uh, we were stumbling around in the darkness until the Lord called us. We're a royal priesthood. We're part of a new royal line. And we, we sometimes miss the power of this in our kind of modern representative democracy, just the, the privilege and the honor and the, just of being royal. But we're not just royal. We're royal priests. We have direct access to God. There's, there's no more need for any, any, any intermediaries because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. We're a holy nation. That word holy there means set apart. We're God's special possession. We're his with all the rights and benefits and privileges therein. And then later on in verse 10, he calls us the people of God. 
and then refers to us as people who have received mercy and grace. And that is my story of, of someone who has just been lavishly given so much mercy and grace that was undeserved. And so verse 9 and 10 attest to this reality that we are a set-apart people. But we are also set apart for a purpose. We're also set apart for a purpose, and we find that in verse 9 as well. After he tells us we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that little word, that appears. And that is a purpose word. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. If you've been set apart, if you're part of the group that has believed and trusted in the message of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have a purpose. And that purpose is to declare something. It's to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, before we move on to the next part of this passage, I would be remiss if I didn't take an opportunity or take a quick moment and ask, is this you? Are you part of this group? Have you become part of God's special possession? If that isn't you or uh, you're not sure what I'm really talking about, if you would oblige me for just a moment and please give me the opportunity to do what this passage is calling me to do, which is to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. There was a man, Jesus Christ, came to this earth 2,000-ish years ago. He lived a perfect life, died an undeserved death, and then rose from the dead to prove to the entire physical and spiritual world that he was exactly who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Lord, the Son of God, and the only way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God. And if that wasn't enough, he holds out this offer, this free gift, and says, if you will believe that, if you will accept that free gift, you will become part of this Uh, this holy nation, this royal priesthood, the creator of the universe's own special possession. And I'm not afraid to tell you that's the best thing and the best decision you could ever do with your life. And if you still have questions about that or you're not, still not sure what I'm talking about, I know in the bulletin sometimes there's a place where you can mark that says, I have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with God. You can put that in the offering plate. Or even better yet, you might be able to find someone you know who loves and follows Jesus. And I want, I bet, I bet they'd be willing to even pick up the lunch tab for the opportunity to declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, for many of us, as we read verses 9 and 10, they serve as a great reminder of where our true identity is. It's a reminder of who we are and whose we are. Because Peter is about to switch gears on us. He's about to begin instructing us on how to live now because of these truths. And that's where I really want to spend the rest of our time together this morning. This reality of how we should live because of the awesome and profound truths found in verses 9 and 10. That we are a set apart people and that we have been set apart for a purpose. We are also set apart to live a certain way. We're set apart to live a certain way. Now, as we go to verse 11, the Apostle Peter continues, and he says, Dear friends, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Now, let me, let me pause here. Many of you have other translations of those two words, foreigners and exiles, in the, in the translations that you're reading. I remember the, the Bible I had growing up that I read a lot of and first familiarized with this passage. It, had it, read, it read it as aliens and strangers. Maybe that's the one you have. And as a young man, I always found this a little amusing because anytime I heard the word alien, I thought of this great TV show I used to watch when I was a kid. All right, this one. Right? You guys remember this one? Okay, ALF. I know. Blast from the past, right? 
Now, this is when we, we didn't have cable back then. Everybody watched this one, right? Now, growing up, or here, I really like this show because the whole premise of this show is that um, all the crazy and humorous and weird things that happen because an alien crashed into this family's garage and they had to learn how to live with one another. Alf had a very different way of seeing the world. He wasn't from here. He did things that just didn't seem right to normal human beings. Now, this was such a popular TV show idea that they knocked it off a decade later with Third Rock from the Sun, for those of you who are younger. All right. And then those of you who are older, I know this Alf was probably just a knockoff of like the previous decades, Mork and Mindy. And someone told me after church earlier that there was actually another one before that. It was like my favorite Martian or something like that. I don't know. So it's out there. This is such a popular uh, TV show idea because, and it's so engaging because it works, right? There's this great contrast in the, the kinds of characters in these types of shows, the majority of the characters seem, quote-unquote, normal, and the other one just doesn't quite fit in. They have a different way of interacting and seeing the world. And aliens have kind of always been interesting to us, but I think as a, as a culture, because, like, why are they the way they are, and why do they do the things they do? And so what is Peter saying here when he uses this word, whether it's foreigners, exiles, aliens, strangers? This metaphor, I think, is going to be important for you to understand the experience we will have as people who are part of the group described in verses 9 and 10. Because of who you are, your experience on this earth will be as foreigners, exiles, aliens, strangers. And let me explain, try to explain a couple of, a couple of ways this, this might describe the, this kind of experience. As a foreigner, as an alien, your, your citizenship is somewhere else. Maybe you have a different legal status. Maybe you don't belong here. This isn't your home of origin. You kind of live differently. Maybe the rules and norms of this place are not necessarily the rules and norms that you ascribe to. As an exile or a stranger, this, this place doesn't feel like home. You may be here, but you long for a different kind of place. The Bible tells us that we have an eternal home that's not this home, and until then we kind of live in this place that just doesn't feel right, like we don't belong here. In the Old Testament, the people of God, the Jews, had this experience of exile in Babylon, and we have a lot of great narratives from uh, Daniel and his friends and Nehemiah. They were living faithfully there, but I think they wanted to be home. They were citizens somewhere else, but they were living in such a way to show they, they had a different set of values. And so Peter, he's imploring us, he is urging us as much as he can, as aliens and strangers and foreigners and exiles, you are this. This is the metaphor for your life. If you're part of the group of people talked about in verses 9 and 10, then you, the natural outflow and result of that is you're going to live on this earth as aliens and strangers and foreigners and exiles. And so it, it should not maybe shock us when this world doesn't seem to feel right. It shouldn't shock us that we don't quite fit because I don't think there's anything in the, in, in the way Jesus describes the Christian life that would make us think a person who is really following him wouldn't stick out in a crowd. In some ways, the, the essence of the Christian life is a series of decisions that will make you increasingly at odds with the world we live in and long for the next world. And the reverse may be true as well. That if we find ourselves fitting into this world well, 
we may not be following Jesus in a way that would attest to us being a part of that group in verses 9 and 10. And so we should expect this, this not belonging here feeling. We should uh, not complain about it. We shouldn't throw a pity party over it. We should go ahead and embrace it and embrace our strangeness and peculiarity. But we, we do, we have a hard time doing this because I think our natural bent as human beings is just to want to fit in and to be normal. We haven't yet cultivated this, um, this mindset of an alien or an exile. One of the things I, I've, I've been thinking about a lot for the sake of me and also maybe even for the sake of my, my kids is that for many years it's been, I think, relatively speaking, easier to f- be a follower and believer in Jesus Christ. Or at least we've had the illusion of easier because of maybe the Judeo-Christian worldview that has been held by the majority in our country for the last however many centuries. We didn't really get it fully when Jesus said things like, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. There is no home for me here, Jesus says, and therefore those who are becoming like him in all of life are going to have a similar experience, and yet we don't know this feeling maybe as much as we should. And, but it's coming for us, and we ought to prepare our hearts accordingly. It's going to get more and more this way maybe as the facade of nominal Christianity begins to crumble in some of the ways maybe we've already seen in our, in our country. In the coming years, we may find ourselves more and more like these early first century believers who were very accustomed to being the marginalized. They were very accustomed to living on the fringes of society. They, they knew what it meant to be the social outcast of their day. Have you begun to make this jump in your thinking? Have, have you made peace with the reality that if you live in a becoming like Christ in all of life way, it may cost you very dearly? Have you made peace with the reality that if you live in this kind of becoming like Christ in all of life kind of way, you may actually get attacked from both sides? Have you made peace with the reality that if you live in this becoming like Christ in all of life kind of way, you may not be able to participate or be involved or pursue in everything you wish you could? Have you made peace with that? Are you okay with being a foreigner, an exile, an alien, and a stranger? Because if you're part of that group so gloriously described in verses 9 and 10 with all the rights and benefits that come with that, then you're also part of this group. This is the metaphor for your life and the description of the experience you will have on this earth. And so Peter, how how are we supposed to live then? You've called us these foreigners, exiles, aliens, strangers, people who don't belong here. And I think the rest of verses 11 and 12 give us, I think, two, two clues, two keys, maybe two handles to hold on to of how do aliens and strangers and foreigners and exiles live in this world. Verse 11 continues, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. The first instruction Peter gives to these foreigners and exiles and aliens and strangers is to abstain. The literal translation of that word in the original languages actually means to hold away from one's person, to abstain. If you, if you stop and think about it, this, this makes a lot of sense, right? If, if this home is not our home, if there's an eternal home out there for us, then it makes sense that Peter would instruct us. The very first thing he asks us to do is to not do damage to the thing we take with us to eternity, our souls. 
And so he tells us to abstain, not just from desires, because I think desires are, are, are part of how God has wired us, but he puts this little caveat word in there, sinful desires, because I think so often in life, it's what we're willing to do to meet those desires that gets us in so much trouble. We're so, so broken in so many ways, and so we will try to scratch that itch in so many short-sighted and sinful and dishonoring to God kind of ways. And Peter tells you to abstain. Other places in the New Testament tells you to flee or run or get out of there. But an alien, a stranger, a foreigner, and an exile, they'll live a life marked with abstention from sinful desires, the desires of, this, of the flesh and of this world. The people of God will need to look very differently in how they, how they interact and how they, they deal with power and money and sex and resources and fame and loneliness and family and relationships and so many other things. And if you didn't have enough reason, enough to abstain or avoid or hold away from yourself these sinful desires, Peter wants you to know these things are at war against your soul. These things may appear to be momentarily attractive. They may even appear to not be doing anyone else any harm. They may even appear to be entirely harmless because it was just desire and it never fully got toward action. But this isn't a game to Peter. He uses this term war on purpose. Later on in 1 Peter, we'll actually see, he describes our enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, seeking to who he can destroy. He's an apex predator, and he's after your jugular. And so he tells us to abstain. An alien and a stranger and a foreigner and an exile will be in this fight. And so that's the first thing Peter tells us and instructs us to do about how to live as a foreigner and an exile is to abstain and to make war against that which is making war against your soul, these, these sinful desires. Next, in verse 12, we see the, the second thing, the second instruction from Peter about how to live as an alien and a stranger and a foreigner and an exile. Verse 12 reads like this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The second instruction from Peter is to live such good lives. What does that mean? I think good lives here could be translated another way. Some people have translated noble lifestyle or an honorable way. Live in such a way, live such good lives, such a noble lifestyle, such in an honorable way that the pagans, and pagans here is not necessarily a derogatory or mean-spirited term. Peter is just trying to um, distinguish between those who are on Team Jesus and those who are not on Team Jesus yet. And he says, live such good lives among them, among these unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong. And here's, here's a quick hint, and I don't want you to miss this. The implication from this verse is that if you live in a becoming like Christ in all of your life kind of way, they will accuse you of doing wrong. You will be called crazy or foolish or evil or unkind or unhelpful to society or a, a hindrance to the progress of a thriving culture. You will be called those things. The, the men and women Peter were writing to, they, they were accused of all sorts of things as first century believers. Often they were accused of disloyalty to the state or to Caesar. They were accused of upsetting the, the economy and the trade of their day. They were messing with the economic system. They were accused of not being good community members because they chose, some of them began to choose not to participate in some of these festivals because of their beliefs. They, they chose to not celebrate all that their culture celebrated. 
They were accused of holding antisocial values and in some ways had become kind of a scapegoat for the societal ills of their day and then blamed as the wrongdoers. Is any of that ringing a bell? Is any of that sounding familiar? Is any of that beginning to start to sound like some of the shifts our world is starting to make? And Peter wants you to know you are an outsider in this world. And you're not going to be given the benefit of the doubt as an outsider in this world. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. You're peculiar people. But Peter instructs us to live such good lives, live in such a way that though they accuse you and they will accuse you, they will see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day he visits us. This, this passage reminded me of, of a couple of things. One, it reminded me, there's a famous quote by the philosopher Plato, and he, he was being asked, hey, what are you going to do? There's, there's people out here slandering you, Plato. And he said, I'm going to live in such a way that no one will believe what he says. But it really reminded me of the, apostle, of, of the instruction our, our Savior gave us in the Sermon on the Mount. Peter was there. He heard this. And look how familiar the last part of the verse I'm about to read to you sounds like what Peter just wrote to these believers. In Matthew 5, remember he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And listen how, how similar this is. In, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Peter wants you to know as an alien, as a stranger, as a foreigner, as an exile, we've got to be about trying to maintain this kind of effective testimony amongst unbelievers. And I feel like I need to say this. It it does not mean we're going to be perfect or even close to that. We're going to fail often. But when people look at our lives, do they see an outward expression in our actions of where our real and ultimate hope is at? Now, Peter is going to spend much of the rest of this letter talking to these early believers about different environments they might find themselves in, like government and work and husband-wife relationships and relationships within the family of God, and then instruct them how to live as these kind of different people in the world around them. And Peter, he's been a very good student of our Savior, and he's told these believers in Asia Minor, these early churches, and I think to the believers gathered here today in Austin, Texas, to live in such a way, live such good lives, such a noble lifestyle, live in an honorable way, not for the purpose of saying that you're better than others or that you can do it. No, because of the truths of verses 9 and 10. Because you are God's chosen people, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, his own special possession. Because you're a recipient of God's good grace, make the things of God look so attractive to this world around us. Because here's the thing, we seem a little crazy. You know that, right? I hope you do. We seem that way. We actually believe there's a man who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. We seem a little crazy. We read, our, we read our Bibles and we try to follow it and we don't share maybe the same sexual ethic the world around us does. We seem a little out there. We don't use technology like Pastor Matt's been talking about for the last couple of weeks. Maybe we don't use technology in the ways the world around us does. Yeah, we are a little bit like odd, peculiar maybe. We give away large chunks of our resources that we could spend on ourselves. 
yeah, we're a little strange how we use our time. We show up at a building like this. Have you ever thought about this? We show up at a building like this, meet together with other believers, sing songs, listen to somebody talk. We could be doing all sorts of other things with our time. Yeah, we're strange. We make some choices about what our families will and won't maybe participate in or be involved in. Now, we aren't odd for the sake of being odd. I really don't want to have the don't be a weirdo conversation with you today, okay? Okay, if we need to, I will. I don't want to do that. I don't think Peter is calling us to be the on-purpose, provocative, weird people out there. I think what he's saying is that we're odd because we're trying to become like all in Christ in all of life. And the promise is that if we do that, we will begin to look very strange to the world around us. Now, there's, before we end, there's two strong implications from the back half of this verse. If we, if we live this way, and I just want to point these out because I think they're really powerful. There's two little implications at the end of this verse. If we live such a noble or honorable way like he's calling us to do, the first is that they will see. The promise is that if we're living this way, it will be noticeable to those around us. I hope that's the case for me. That's, that's my prayer. As, by way of side note, real quick, perhaps the greatest audience many of us have, if you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, is the next generation coming behind us. What will they see? You have this kind of built-in audience every day that will see how you interact with this world. And will they see your strangeness? Will they see your alien way of living? Will they see how you deal with this, I don't know that I belong here way of life. I hope so. I hope that's the story of my life. I hope that's the story of yours, that we would live in such a way that the difference God has made in our lives would be clearly evident. Peter's saying, if you live this sort of way, they will see. But he also says, he finishes up, the second implication is that if we live this kind of way, if we are showing that our hope is somewhere else, that God will ultimately get the glory for that. And if there's anything most peculiar or strange about the way we live is that we are the kinds of people who are not puffing ourselves up or bragging about who we are. We are people who are declaring the praises of the one who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And so, Grace, you don't belong here. I mean, you do belong here. I'm glad you're here today, okay? But in this world, in the way this earth operates, you don't belong here. And I don't, I, don't, I don't want that to get you down. I think the Apostle Peter would say, lean into it. Go ahead and get used to it. You're a foreigner. You're an exile. You're an alien. You're a stranger. You're just passing through. You have a different set of values, a different way of seeing the world. You're passing through, yes, but you're passing through with a mission. You're passing through with a commission from the Apostle Peter and Jesus Christ himself that says, abstain. Abstain from these sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And then live in such a way that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will accuse you, they will see, and they ultimately will give glory to God on the day he visits us. Now, one of the really hard truths of the matter is that this world will either push us into a place of strangeness, this metaphor of foreigner, exile, alien, stranger, or we will succumb to being like the world. And we have to try to really avoid that fate as believers of fitting into this world so well that our lives don't actually point to something beyond this world. 
Because if we succumb to that, we are no longer operating as aliens and strangers and foreigners and exiles. We are simply conforming citizens of this God-ignoring world. So dear friends, beloved friends, men and women here gathered today with me at Grace, you are, those of you who have received the message of Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. And that will make you, if you do it the right way, that will make you in this world a foreigner, an exile, an alien, a stranger, someone who doesn't really belong here. And as those things, our instructions from the Apostle Peter are to, here's how we should live. We should abstain. We should make war against that which is making war against our soul. And we should live such good lives, such a noble way, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day he visits us. All for the purpose of declaring the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Let's pray. God, we, we come before you today grateful for these reminders from the Apostle Peter. What a, God, what a joy and what a privilege to be called your special possession, your holy people, your royal priesthood. Thank you for the ability to be that because of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done on our behalf. We, God, collectively here today, Father, ask you to help us. Oh, how we need your help to become acquainted with and make peace with the reality that our experience here on this earth will be as those who are foreigners and exiles and aliens and strangers. God, we, we do confess that we don't always live in such a way that often we are conformed to the image of this world instead of being transformed by your spirit. But our prayer today, God, is that you would give us strength and wisdom through your Holy Spirit to apply this passage to our lives today. We need your help, Father, and we ask for it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.